Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to Three Yards Per Carry. I'm Alf, I'm here with Simon and Chris, and this week the the players met with the media, the draftees, I should say, met with the media, so did the coaches, but first of all, J.H.I. got into a little bit of trouble this week. He's being sued by the owner of an L.A. mansion for $25,000. He says that he broke a table, scratched the floor, also broke what, quote-unquote, the smoking rule in the house. (laughs) It makes perfect sense to me that you would rent a 6,000-square-foot mansion right after the Super Bowl for five days and not throw a party, which he's alleging he's not doing. Simon, what do you make of our old friend that's now in Philadelphia, former Dolphin, now Super Bowl champion, Jay Ajayi? Maybe he did throw a party and just nobody turned up because he's such a massive asshole. <laughs> I mean, That'd be a pretty good defense. I think, that's a, I think I you mean, should run with that. That's yeah. the way I'd go with it if I was his lawyers. Yeah. Your Honor, there's no way yeah. I could pay this guy $25,000 because there's no way I could have a party after the Super Bowl because I'm a complete asshole and nobody wants to come see me. Exactly. I- I think the real I think the real disagreement with the owner there is that he can't believe that Jay Ajayi would use his house to record that absolute piece of trash hip hop rap track that Jay Ajayi <laughs> has has laid down. I'm sorry, did I say trash? I, I, I meant you know she spit spit some hot fire there, but uh... <laughs> maybe maybe he tried to wreck ten different pieces of furniture, but he only knew two of the f- furniture to wreck because he was, was unaware of what the other eight were. And perhaps he tried to run away from the the landlord, and the landlord caught him from behind, uh, and and then his little dog leg, you know, kick out and hit a few cars on the way. <laughs> now he's injured. <laughs> well, from one terrible rapper to another. Oh God! Uh, if you gave me. 455 guesses. I think on the 458th, I will guess correctly on who is the you latest would, you NFL rap star. You have 4 no, million No, guesses. I'm sorry. No, you don't think I could get it by 458? No, no. <laughs> well, Zero I'll break the news right up. here, ladies and gentlemen. It is Cole Beasley. Not Adam Beasley, by the way. Cole Beasley. I, I, I think Adam Beasley would have a hip-hop album out before Cole Beasley. I've hung out with Bees. He's he's down. Bees, I think he's I think he's you know he's clever. He can do it. I bet he sits in the Herald office spitting beats every day. <laughs> well, you guys can listen to his his hit single. It's in the top twenty. Adam Beasley, by the way. No, no, Cole Beasley. 
All you got to do is go to Bees11 at Twitter, and he has it up there. You know, he even Col- has the, he has the Cowboy cheerleaders dancing on the video and everything. It's it's spectacular. It's called Cole 80, Beasley. 80 Stings. Cole, Cole Beasley is to hip-hop what Billy Turner was to Hall of Fame offensive line play. <laughs> so you're saying that there's no way that this this thing is good, that this rap he's a, he's a He's a little white fella with curly blonde hair. I don't think he's going to be Kanye <laughs> yeah, or but, yeah. Matt. Bad villain, or yeah, but Dak Prescott says it's really, really, really good. Like, you know, that's a pretty good that, endorsement, isn't it? That's I don't know. Maybe, I mean, maybe Dak likes country music. <laughs> yeah, right. Jarvis Landry, Jarvis Landry loves country music. Why couldn't Dak? Really? I, I think, I think we know where we all know where this is going. Jay Ajayi and Cole Beasley rap battle collaboration. Like, yeah, collabor- more, like, no. more like collaboration. They are the new boys to men. <laughs> you know, but he is getting a lot, a lot, a lot of legs through this this release this week because uh, Skip Bayless on Fox Sports One says that 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 right there is the reason why the Cowboys have only won one playoff game in the last four thousand years. What Cole Beasley's rap album? <laughs> yes, he actually that's singularly, blamed, that's he actually, singularly to blame. Yes, he blamed that exactly. And what's even better is that Shannon Sharp agreed with him. So oh, when really? Tony wrote, so when Tony Romo fumbled the snap at the the extra point against the Giants, oh, and when when Aaron Rodgers hit uh, the tight end, whose name I can never remember, down the sideline for 33 on fourth and forever. Is this Jermichael Finley? Yeah. No, the other one, two seasons oh, ago. Crabtree. That was the Rangers oh. last season. Oh, okay. who, killed, who killed us on Sunday night. Um, yeah, Jared, yeah, the, the Cal Jared, kid. Yeah. Um, that was all down to Cole Beasley. Yes, it's his fault. Yes. It's obviously it's his fault. Definitely. <laughs> He doesn't Simon. feature at all in uh, in uh, All or Nothing, the Amazon Prime documentary. <laughs> Maybe they knew something. Maybe they knew he was such a terrible rapper. They didn't want to go in there. Simon, would you rather would you rather listen to you know a thirty second track from Cole Beasley or Jay Ajayi, or would you rather listen to thirty seconds of Simon? Are you there uh, from another serial killer? Because I'm definitely the serial killer. <laughs> People don't know. Our listeners don't know. For those that don't, uh, Simon. Everybody goes through phases when they're a young man. When uh, Simon was a young and impressionable intern at uh, the BBC, evidently his phase was communicating with serial killers. So they Simon kind of communicated uh, with me. So <laughs> <laughs> Simon yeah, wrote a- an article about this. There was a serial killer, the second most deadly serial killer in British history is a guy called Dennis Nielsen who died this week. Uh, and uh, when I was at the BBC, I had to send out a kind of a questionnaire to a number of very well-known serial killers in the UK about stuff. Um, and some of them replied, some of them didn't, some of them went to the newspapers. And Dennis Nielsen, who essentially uh, hunted, uh, killed, had sex with the dead bodies, dressed them up, and then cut them up and boiled the heads on uh, on in his stove and stuff and kept the bodies kind of around his flat. Uh, essentially to try and get rid of the bodies, he then flushed them down the toilet and eventually the, the, the flats with which he was living in, their drains got blocked up and that was how he was essentially caught because they called the drain guy and the drain guy fished around to try and clear up what he assumed would probably be you know a bad somebody's bad turd and it turned out to be you know <laughs> john from scotland who was just three quarters of him stuck in the drain pipe um and so nielsen used to phone me up at work because i'd left my number on this questionnaire 
And oh, uh, cl- why clearly, did you do that? <laughs> yeah, clearly he didn't. Clearly he didn't have answer phones. I mean, he was arrested in the early eighties, nineteen eighties, and I don't think answer phones were even invented then. So when he when he got through to my answer phone, I mean, he got through to me first of all, and we chatted, and it was very weird, and I sort of hung up on him, and then he kept leaving messages on the answer phone, but I'm not sure he thought he was talking to me, or leaving a message and the other story that i didn't even put in the article is that that i don't know in the u.s you must have heard of the cray twins who were very kind of um in the 60s they kind of ran the east end of london in a kind of a cutthroat kind of beat people up kill people Mm -hmm. kind of way yeah i've seen the movies they're great we're okay cool yeah Uh, so um one of the cray twins the remaining living cray twin once phoned me up at home because i sent him the questionnaire as well I was ex-directory, which means my phone number was not listed anywhere, and he was in prison, but he still managed to track my phone. <laughs> it's a true story. It's a true story. Well, first anyway. of all, this this Nilsson character sounds like a terrible environmentalist. He's not good. Yeah. He's not good. You know, yeah. I got to tell people: no, no ne- diapers, do no not... diapers down the drain. No, exactly. don't, human don't flush human flesh down the drain. It's it's you know it's it's bad practice. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got to welcome a new sponsor to the show, and that's Greenlight Tech. And I don't know about you guys, but if my PC died, I would cease to make any money because, you know, it's the engine that pays for me to sit here and talk into a microphone. So And you I'm can't like, flush it down the toilet when no, it dies. No, yeah, yeah, you can't. You could throw it out a window, which I've been wanting to do many times. But we're here to welcome a new sponsor to the show, and that's Greenlight Tech. Every sport needs a team, same as in business. That's why more small to mid-sized businesses in South Florida are choosing Greenlight Tech, the full-service concierge IT company that gets it right. Greenlight Tech advises, monitors, supports, and keeps your important data backed up and secure. They'll even manage your vendors. Call Greenlight Tech at 561-325-9997. Mention this ad and you get a free assessment. Sign up and your first month is free. You heard that. Free. Be unstoppable when you go on green. Visit greenlighttech.com. All right, Simon. Yeah, so all of our rookies spoke this week after their kind of four or five days of orientation down in Davie. Some takeaways, I suppose. Minka, he's all business. I mean, he's, you know, he's not rent a quote, but he's a serious guy. And, you know, we're going to get a serious player. Quentin Poling, absolutely great value. He was terrific at the the lectern, was very funny, especially talking about his hometown and the kind of the, the fact that he... 75% 75% of the, his hometown didn't know who he was, even though there were only about 30 people in that hometown. He also then said that 75% of the people wouldn't know who Dan Marino was, which is quite a damning <laughs> indictment of that hometown, wherever that was. Yeah. Um, Durham Smythe is probably the boss. Smith is probably the brightest guy on the team. He was uh, he was good fun. And Cornell Armstrong, a bit like a bit like um, a bit like uh, Minka Fitzpatrick. He's kind of all business. He's got a bit of moxie about him. I think he's uh, he's an interesting kid that we all like. So. Um, Guys, what were your biggest takeaways that, that you know, I, I suppose we might as well start with Minka because for me, I think in amongst all the kind of the, the very, you know, business speaking, serious speaking, he's clearly very experienced with talking with wily media guys and, you know, he didn't really give a lot away. But what he did say, which kind of countered and contradicted something the Dolphins had said in the immediate aftermath of the draft, was that he was actually going to play across all spots on the back end rather than concentrate on free safety so it's an interesting to see that maybe he hasn't been told something maybe he's been told something different since the draft how do you feel about what about what minka said uh well i i think that you hit something that's a little bit maybe even troubling because you know i don't i don't know what's going on as far as the communication between the coaching staff and the the personnel people or the front office but it was clear when mike tannenbaum and chris greer talked about minka fitzpatrick they said 
free safety. That's what he's going to play. He's going to play free safety. He's going to be a lot like Malcolm Jenkins. And then you talk to the coaching staff, Adam Gase, Matt Burke, and they're like, well, you know, he's going to play whatever, you know, it's up to Minka to decide. He's going to play all across. He's going to be on nickel. He's going to be free safety, you know, strong safety. He's going to basically play everything. And uh, so you're, you're wondering about the communication there or, you know, what what's going on. Um, but the thing that I heard that Minka said that, you know, the first thing that went off for me was uh, when he started talking about the defense and he said it's almost the same exact defense a couple of wrinkles here and there and the terminology is different but almost you know his words almost the same exact defense now clearly anybody who's looked at alabama and looked at miami's wide nine would know that he's not talking about the front end okay we don't we don't run alabama's uh, defensive front and it looks very different on a, on a defensive line and a linebacker basis i think uh, so he's talking about the coverages, and we've been talking about this. If you've been listening to Three Yards Per Carry, you've heard us talk about Tony Oden and uh, Ronaldo Hill and what they bring to the defensive backfield as the new coaches back there and how Tony Oden, even though he hasn't ever really coached with Nick Saban necessarily or under him, uh, he's been coaching in and around Saban guys his entire career and clearly has a lot of saving influence in his um, in the back defensive backfield, and I think Minka just basically confirmed it. He said that uh, he said that from a defensive coverage standpoint, it's going to be a lot of Nick Saban coverages. So I thought that was that was interesting. Um, otherwise, and I mean this in the most positive way, uh, Minka is an incredibly boring interview. <laughs> oh my god! And, yeah, and I, I mean that. Yeah, I, I mean this in a, in a this is great for Minka because it just means that he's really good at this. He's pulled it off, you know, the whole Bull Durham thing with uh, with learn how to learn how to say the most boilerplate stuff and and never say a thing, you know, while still talking. And that's what he did. And so um, th- there are very few things that I could really get from him uh, aside from his confirming that the the same the defensive coverage will be the same as Saban. Um, but one consistent thing that comes through is the the phrase that you hear a lot from Minka, from if you've seen several of his interviews from the coaches, is making the calls. So mm. one thing that's clear for him is he's going to be expected to make the calls in the defensive backfield. What I also liked about him was that he was he wasn't afraid to kind of put the the local journos away. I mean, Omar Kelly of the Sun Sentinel asked him what is his best position. He says my best position is on the field. I mean, it's boring, but it's kind yeah. of do you know what I mean? I mean, I made a, I made some notes of some of the things that he said. You know, he was going to be himself. He would you know he'd spoken to Gaze and Burke about being his best self, and it's his job to better the players around him, which you know. Mm-hmm. It's something you don't often hear from a rookie, especially when you're playing alongside, you know, the son of Tim McDonald and a, you know, fairly perennial all pro in Rashad Jones, you know, living up to Nick Saban's compliments. You know, it's his job to challenge the players around him on the back end. You know, I want to be a starter and I'm going to work to be the best player. Like you said, he's going to learn the entire defensive backfield. And interesting, interestingly, as you said, he'll make the calls. I thought it was quite interesting when he that that, that interesting Pete Thamel article. Um, looking at the Dolphins draft over the, over the 10 pieces, 10 articles that we talked about. Um, 
and there was that there was that scout, the dolphin scout, who turned up and and saw Minka studying film one morning and took a photograph of it and sent it back to everybody. And he was asked about that, and he said, "Well, I just assumed everybody else was watching film on the morning of the games. It's not. It was nothing surprising for me. And it clearly everybody else wasn't watching film. And and then kind of my favourite statement he said was, uh, you know, you always have to do extra to be great. You can't be extraordinary without the extra. He just he's just all business. This kid, isn't he? He's you know he is not the most exuberant of interviews, and you're not necessarily going to get great copy from him. But what you do get is a kind of a level of seriousness and a level of you know he's taking this. This is for real. This is a proper you know. There's there's no shortcuts on the road to greatness for Minka Fitzpatrick. Yeah, I was wondering why our beat guys, Armando Salguero or Omar Kelly and Adam Beasley, which and Joe Shad, who they all do a fine job, but. I don't know why they didn't do as much of an investigative job as I did and track down a very obscure podcast in Birmingham called <laughs> the Know You Now podcast with Rebecca Nesbitt, where Minka Fitzpatrick appeared the day after the draft. And event- evidently he's friends with her. And I guess it's a Christian podcast. You know, it's a nice family podcast. And she asked him one very simple question. How did the draft call go? And he said that, first of all, when he picked up the phone, uh, he said he heard static, and he didn't know if he was talking to the owner or the GM, that all he heard on the other line was, you don't have any legal issues if we draft you here, do you? (coughs) And he tried to answer, and the next thing he knows, they hung up on him. And he's sitting there, and he's looking on stage, and then he hears his name called, and he and, he's, and he says, oh, I guess I'm a dolphin then. So that he was kind of draft he, he kind of said he couldn't hear, could he, because of the static was really bad, uh, uh, you know. Yeah, all he, yeah, all he heard. <laughs> Welcome to Miami. Do you have any legal issues? <laughs> that was the only thing he heard. Now, I wonder who made that call. He says he doesn't know if it's now, the owner or if it was the coach. So. It, it was actually it was Greer that made the call, and then Greer handed the phone to uh, – to Tannenbaum, Tannenbaum handed it to uh, to Gates. Interestingly, though, you say that about uh, about legal issues, and it, I spoke to a couple of uh, spoke to a couple of journalists about this, and they told me that actually that happens quite a lot, especially when you haven't. So Minka, the only interview that Minka had with the Dolphins was um, at the combine, um, and subsequently to that, there was no conversations between the Dolphins and the uh, and, and Minka and, until the moment that he was selected. Oftentimes, teams when they pick players who they haven't had into the facility in the, in the run-up in the weeks and days before the draft often haven't been across anything that's happened to them you know you might have had a fender bender or a been arrested for jaywalking or whatever and that that information just hasn't filtered through so actually it's not the kind of the most unique question perhaps that that we we think it might be I well, before we get into Mike Gusecki, uh Chris, do you want to tell us about a sponsor? Yes, we do. We have a new we have a new sponsor, really uh, a sponsor that's been with us for a couple of podcasts. But uh, I do want to tell you about him because, like I said before, we've known him for a long time. Uh, hurricane season is again upon us, and thousands of Floridians have not received fair compensation for their Hurricane Irma claims. If your claim was denied, underpaid, or assessed below your deductible, you need a free consultation with an experienced insurance attorney. The law office of Lloyd J. Heilburn, call 561-727-3636 or contact through heilburnlaw.com. That's H-E-I-L-B-R-U-N-N law.com. That's 561-727-3636. And the law office of Lloyd J. Heilburn handles insurance, personal injury, and wrongful death cases on a no-fee, no-cost, unless there is a recovery basis. 
say three yards sent you. Again, huge Dolphins fan, uh, and chat them up and tell them that CK, Simon, and Alf sent, sent you. So, well, it turns out Minka Fitzpatrick was not the only guy giving press conference uh, introductions that day. The other guy who gave an introduction was Mike Gesicki of Penn State. Uh, I get a feeling that Mike Gesicki might be a little bit more interesting of an interview if you can get him to, uh, if you can kind of break through him a little bit. Uh, what do you think about that, Alf? I think that do you, do you get the feeling that he might be he might say a few more things if you uh, if you ask him the right questions? Well, I know it on on pretty good authority that when he was drafted, he was well not when he was drafted, but when the Dolphins did meet with him, they told him to make sure he to scrub his Twitter account of any and all mentions that could be deemed controversial. And he seemed to forget a few where he called Miami fans a bunch of bandwagoners back in 2013. <laughs> okay. You know, I guess he showed up here in Miami and, and everybody started digging up those tweets. But as far as his interview, his, his introductory press conference, the first thing that's striking is he's big. And not only yeah, is he, he is. big, he's a good-looking athlete. Mm-hmm. You saw his definition on his arms, his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Like, this is – he looks much bigger in like shorts and a t-shirt than he does on the field he looked kind of lanky in in penn state like Mm -hmm. he looked like he could use 20 pounds at penn state Mm -hmm. Nah, he looked like a fully formed man in that presser so yeah i was kind of impressed but yeah he's absolutely him and polling are the leaders in the clubhouse to say a bunch of stupid and, and entertaining things this coming season He's going to catch a lot of passes, this kid. He's going to catch so many passes. Yeah. Pro Football Focus has him number five overall as far as their their favorites for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Yeah. Do you think that he actually does have a chance at that? He's going to Probably catch that not. many passes? Probably not. But it uh, wouldn't surprise me if he had an outside, sh- outside sniff or someone at the Pro Bowl. I mean, we are getting ahead of ourselves, of course. He's not you know, caught a single pass. But he just, you know, he's such a position in need. He's, you know, we know exactly what he's going to do. The Dolphins aren't going to fool anybody when he's on the field because he's not like he's going to be in there to block. But, you know, the same thing happened with the Saints and Jimmy Graham. The same thing happened with the Seahawks and Jimmy Graham. Uh, you know, and that's essentially who he is. He's Jimmy Graham, you know, and he's going to post up and make a lot of catches. He's going to get in that sort of, you know, run seam routes. And, you know, in the in the red zone, he's going to be a, a huge threat. I think he's going to, you know, he's going to be open a lot because we've got a lot of guys that are going to need covering. And, you know, try sticking your, your nickel corner on, you know, Start, try sticking your nickel corner on on Jasicki and good good luck with that because Tannehill is going to you know he'll pick you apart and and I think uh, actually you're underrating him as a blocker because he's uh, he's blocked quite a few uh, local journalists yeah, uh, and personalities on Twitter already. Omar uh, Kelly I think was one of the first. Yeah, Omar I God only knows why I so I have no idea like what he's but he's blocked he's got some people blocked so be careful out there. Yeah. Uh, but no, I I think his interview his interview is good. I think he's an entertaining guy. I think um you know he he kind of knows how not to not to say anything you know that's going to get him in trouble. Um, but I also think that when you break him down, there's a lot of there's a lot of Gronk that I'm getting from him really, and, and that I think that as you go and as he gets into into his career, maybe as he gets more comfortable and maybe a little bit more productive and uh, more confident, you're going to start to see it a little bit more. But on the field, on the field, you just get such a Gronkowski feel from this guy as far as, like, I'm a physical specimen. I'm, I'm better than you. I'm going to catch balls over you. I'm going to jump over you. Um, you know, that's that's just the way he is. And I think that he's going to have an opportunity. I don't know about Offensive Rookie of the Year. He probably has to catch 10 touchdowns to do that. 
Um, and that, you know, just let's be realistic about that. How many touchdowns would Tannehill be throwing to get 10 of them to, uh, to Mike Gesicki? Oh. And, um, and, you know, it could happen. It could certainly happen. To be honest with you, but, I, don't um, get, I don't get the, the Gronkowski vibe because Gronk basically does it on brute power and strength. Uh, yeah, it's a different it's a different kind of physical specimen, different kind of physical superiority, but it's a, a superiority nonetheless. Yeah, I get a Travis Kelsey vibe. Like I'm a wide receiver that's this big. Yeah, yeah. Travis is also Travis is also mean as hell though. Uh, yeah, he is. I mean that he's he's just a a brutal. I mean this guy, this guy is like um he's like a basketball player and one kind of uh kind of swagger. Uh, with with Mike Gesicki because you know he can just jump over everybody and he knows that his leaping ability is his strongest attribute and it's going to be it's going to be really compelling in the red zone catching touchdowns because when when I mean look at his volleyball and I have looked at you know at some tape of him playing basketball and and I've heard from people that um, that watched him play volleyball I've seen some of it I mean he he has this tremendous lift from like you know without even breaking down just just go, and, and it's it's incredible, and I think that that's what's gonna what's gonna be so compelling about him in the red zone, and that's what Jimmy Graham has. I mean, Jimmy Graham has that ability, and that's what's made him such a great touchdown threat. And it, you know, Jimmy Graham is really only good at one thing, but man, you know, he's pretty good at that one thing. <laughs> uh, well, before we move on to Jerome Baker, uh, Gronkowski, Gonzalez, Gates, Graham, Gasecki, coincidence? Or yeah. something we're, you know, did we draft the right guy here? As long no, you as said guy. With the guy begins with a G as well. Look what you did. Yeah, yeah. Well, Simon, Jerome Baker, another impressive guy. I'll, t- I'll tell you one thing. Uh, I watched every single one of these pressers, and if I had to, like, look for a common theme through all of them, is that this is one really good-looking group. Like, everybody, mm. everybody answers mm. questions quickly, uh, smartly. Like you could tell that they're on the ball, that they're smart, they they think about what they're gonna say. What were your impressions of Jerome Baker? I thought he was one of the more impressive guys. Him and Colin Bellage, yeah. of course. But, he was impressive. Yeah. Of course he was Christ. I'm surprised you're not married to Caleb <laughs> Bellage. Jesus Christ. Um yeah, I mean Baker he looks small, doesn't he? He does look yes. small. Yes. But um, you know, he talked very interestingly about his relationship with uh with Raekwon. Um, and how he was kind of settling in, uh, and I saw on Instagram him, Raekwon, clearly kind of, they do have a really good friendship, a really good relationship, they're hanging out together, they're in the locker room together, they're doing all sorts of bits and pieces together, which is great to see, and kind of building that rapport again from, from Ohio State, and yeah, he talked interestingly about scheme, and about his disappointment in running what was perceived as a slow time, he reckons he could, you know, he should have run in the four threes, he wanted to break the, the record um, set by Shaquem Griffin, um, so, you know, and he said, you know, I play a lot faster than I time, um, which I think that shows up pretty obviously on tape on pretty much every time you, you turn it on. So, um, interesting kid, you know, I, I think he'll be a weak side linebacker. I think he, he knows he'll be the weak side linebacker. He'll obviously, you know, try and contribute on special teams as well. But, um, yeah, he was an impressive guy and I'm looking for, you know, all of these guys, you just want them to stay healthy and, you know, and I think there's a, you know, you talk about Jasicki as well, kind of just an interesting, um, and kind of focused. All these guys seem focused. I mean, even although polling was, was funny and told, you know, had lots of nice little light one liners, actually, when it got to talking about football, that the, the smile really went on this off his face and he kind of glared at you with those kind of icy blue eyes and was, you know, he was all about the business as well. So just mm. just a good, interesting bunch of 
intelligent football players who who kind of get it really and they all uh, did you notice they all had different t-shirts on? i don't know if that was a branding yeah. thing yeah but literally <laughs> every single one of them had That's a different design. dolphins related to yeah i'm sure it was yeah but um i thought that was very funny but yeah, no, yeah. I, I was impressed with baker as well well, he said two things that one, you know, he's he's a little bit smaller in person. And, you know, that that actually comes through because uh, I was reading more about him. And uh, uh, Mickey Marotti uh, is the assistant AD for sports performance, uh, was quoted as talking about, you know, he's talking about Jerome Baker versus like, uh, you know, uh, Ryan Shazier and Darren Lee. And he, he said that Darren Lee was longer and which is interesting because technically Darren Lee is uh, – it's half an inch shorter than Jerome Baker is, but um, but the thing is, Darren Lee had 33 inch arms and six foot seven inch wingspan. Jerome Baker only has 31 inch arms and a six foot four inch wingspan. I think that's why he comes off a little bit um, smaller uh, because, in addition to only being like I think it's six oh one one something like that, uh, he's you know not got a great wingspan. But he but what Marathi said that was actually a credit to Jerome Baker is that uh, Darren Lee is more of a long strider. So, you know, Jerome Baker's you know, kind of faster on the field. Um, did you guys have any impressions about, you know, Durham Smith? Yeah, really intelligent kid. Mm-hmm. Really <laughs> that's, intelligent. That's what keeps that. That's the word that keeps popping up. That 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 <laughs> word intelligent has popped up like a bunch of times with uh, with Durham Smith or Smith. Sorry. Um, but you look at the Pete Thamel scouting report uh, or the scouting blurb, really. And it was one of the first words used to describe him. Yeah, what's also think- interesting is that uh, this guy played at Notre Dame, and he said that that Hard Rock Stadium was the loudest stadium he mm. ever played in, and <laughs> and that Hurricane fans threw garbage at their bus and broke a window, which kind of made me a little proud. He's going to be shocked, though, when he turns up for a Dolphins game, though, isn't he? Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, he's going to be, on. Like, he's going to be, he's going to be oh. exactly. He's going to expect to come out like it's a rock concert, and he's going to be like a classical music event. So it'll be, uh, <laughs> you know. Well, before we go to break, before Chris takes us to break, uh, Callum Balazs, Cornell Armstrong, Quentin Poling, thoughts on these three? Simon? Yeah, I mean, as we talked about, really, kind of a, a litany of intelligent kind of semi-interesting and in Poland's case humorous kind of kids Armstrong obviously probably the I don't want to say the weakest because he you know there's a real a, a real steel there behind the kind of the it was very no sir yes sir respectful kind of but you know kids gonna play and he talked about how he played on special teams and the fact that you know the very first time he ever played um at Southern he was you know incredibly nervous on special teams but loves playing there talked about being able to play on the boundary, talked about being able to play nickel, um, was going to learn both positions with the Dolphins. Um, Poling, just an interesting kid. Again, you know, fast, somebody that's going to somebody that's gonna play special teams and knows that, that that's how he's going to, you know, have to earn his corn. I, I mean, I don't want to talk about Balazs because I know that you're going to elucidate for your love child. The other kid, obviously, is... Uh, <laughs> the other kid, obviously, was... I think the most unimpressive, in inverted commas, was Jason Sanders, the kicker. But then there's only so much you can talk about. Uh, yeah. I think one of the, I think one of the, yeah, exactly. Okay, let's talk about the guy who's probably going to run for about two thousand eight hundred yards this year, and that's Colin Balaj. Uh, he won't even get three hundred, <laughs> but he'll get eight hundred in receiving and win MVP. It'll it'll be it'll be thirteen hundred in your heart. Yes, yes. But was it interesting that he gets drafted and the first thing he decides to do is go to Instagram and no, not not look up some Instagram model, which is probably what I would have done. 
But he went and looked up Frank Gore and reached out to Frank Gore, and Frank actually responded to him, and they've been corresponding ever since. Should I tell you that that was the second thing he did, actually, because the first thing he did was take a load of photos of him driving around in a Bentley that he was given the uh, he was given for the weekend by his agent. <laughs> <laughs> So, Chris, what did you what did you make of his comments? It doesn't look like he's right. going to play all that much this year, but he could play a role. Yeah. Everybody says everybody when they talk about him says that he's you know just a really great guy and very intelligent. Uh, for some reason, he didn't play a whole lot or not as much to everybody's liking at Arizona State. I think the coach tried to explain that away by talking about his value in the passing game and how they didn't want to kill him on these first and second down runs and, and then and then try and use him. But I think that he can find some roles in this offense that, that might be interesting. I think he'll be a terrific success on the return you know, he's gonna be the return guy, I'm sure. I'm sure on kickoff, certainly. He had twenty he had twenty kickoff returns for four hundred and thirty seven yards this year. Um twenty two average. That's that's it's all right. Uh, and then last year a bit better, eighteen for four oh nine. Yeah, I don't see a touchdown in here. Did you guys um, but, hear him when he when they asked him who he compares his game to? Did you hear the name that he spat out? I did not. I could not recall. He said... Was it Daniel Thomas? No. <laughs> that's that's said, our namesake. That's Ronnie Brown. Oh, he did, yes. Oh, that's course. right. That's right. I remember now. Yes. Yeah. And we were we were talking about this off we were talking about this off uh, off air too. Uh, who do who do we compare him to? And we talked about Ronnie Brown. Yeah, and then one uh, one journal in the, in the in the audience asked them, so you know, you ran a little bit of wildcat. Is that something you're going to ask the coaches to do? And this guy lit up. I don't know if you saw his face. He did, but also he didn't say anything. It was almost as if he'd been told, "You are going to be doing it, but yeah. don't talk about it because we want to keep that secret for week three or whatever." Yeah. Um, well, I think the most disappointing thing about him is that he's chosen number 33, which is the number of Sammy Smith and the aforementioned Daniel Thomas, which oh, um, yeah, which is, awful. is a immediate recipe for disaster well obviously the most prominent dolphin to wear 33 is Kellen Balage. so um yes before we get before we get to the coaching staff i do want to we do want to have a word from some other guys in our uh our podcast group this is the five reasons sports network hello this is chris joseph co-host of the bulls cast some of you might have heard our earlier promos on this podcast and wondered what in the holy shit fuck is balls cast thing all about well balls cast is a comedy podcast about miami sports culture and politics and sex and food you know all the shit that matters to those of us who call the 305 home we also throw in parody songs and comedy sketches and invite the occasional cool-ass guests and my co-host Slim and I do all of this while completely baked out of our gourds. So, if you love Miami sports, but you're also into laughing and living your fullest life in this beautiful city we call our home, then please download Ballscast wherever you consume your podcasts. Then, sit back, relax, and enjoy the crazy. Now, listen to some fart noises. <laughs> This week on the Five Reasons Podcast, we're joined by the one and only Stugatz. And so we're just going to do this rapid fire where you're, I'm okay. going to name a name and you're just going to go, Elon Musk. I've been on this for about a year now, and it's funny to see that everyone else is starting to catch up, okay? Because Elon Musk, it is he's a quack. Kevin Durant. Uh, doesn't have any championships, period. End of discussion. I don't care how many he wins with Golden State. He will never have a championship in my personal record book. All right, uh, next one for you. Art Bryles. 
I can go to hell. Okay. Sister Jean. What bothers me about Sister Jean is the two gods are strong in Sister Jean. That's what, what, what I have learned, uh, what I have learned over time is sometimes I look in the mirror and I don't put staffing back at me. Check out this podcast and our many others. You can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play. It's the Five Reasons Podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Heat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Giancarlo Navas, and in this week's episode, we welcome Manny Navarro of the Miami Herald. It's the first time he's been on with us in the five years that we've been doing this, and Manny Navarro had some interesting things to say about Dion Waiters. The last time I saw Dion, I want to say it was like early March. He was hanging out in the locker room, and he looked like he put on a few pounds. <laughs> so I know you guys are all excited about that. <laughs> Great. Uh, it looked like he hadn't been running a whole lot, which, you know, I guess you can understand that considering he had ankle surgery, Coming but it did look injury. like he been enjoying, like, nachos or something. <laughs> Catch all that and more on the Heat Beat Podcast, now on the Five Reasons Podcast Network, and look out for a new episode every Monday until the NBA playoffs are over. You can check us out on Twitter, at MIAHeatBeat, for all the latest updates and info. we're back again we encourage you to listen to all those guys uh you can follow them at the at five reasons uh sports uh twitter handle uh, you can also follow us at at three yards per carry twitter um we want you to listen to the balls cast uh, pitch invasion we have some great interesting news about oj mcduffie and uh and the fact that he's joining the network and he's going to run a, a podcast with seth levitt uh, called the fish tank and um, they're going to have lots of stories about, you know, his time with the Dolphins. And they're going to have on a lot of the players that you want to hear from uh, really exciting names. And they're going to have a really great lineup. We can't wait to hear it ourselves. And we're all just kind of like, you know, giggling, you know, like schoolgirls here that O.J. McDuffie is joining us because I just can't wait to work with the guy that I used to throw 20 touchdown passes to uh, on Tecmo Super Bowl three. So, um, well, now before, we, before we, we get into that, let me put you on the spot, Simon. He's going to be a coworker with us. He's going to be on our podcast. Who was better? Because that's something that keeps at, that, that keeps getting asked of O.J. McDuffie. Who was better, O.J. McDuffie, Jarvis Landry? Mm. Between you and me, it was and... Jarvis Landry. But when O.J.'s on the podcast, <laughs> O.J. every day, mate. <laughs> well, you don't have to. You don't have to ask me because you already know my answer. Right? Yeah, I do. I do. Listen, let me just interject as well. Okay, Billy Joe, 1966. Hubert Ginn, 1974. Stan Winfrey, 75 to 77. Billy Cesare, 1980. Bo Matthews, 1981. The brilliantly named Rich Diana, 1982. <laughs> Craig Ellis, 19, 1986. Ronald Scott, 1987. And then Sammy Smith, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Dion Dyer, remember Big Dion, the fullback? Yeah, Dion, yes. Vic King, Vic King, Jerome Perry, Nate Jones, and the legend that Thank is you. Daniel Thomas are all the Miami Dolphins to have worn number 33. By the way, fact... That's a terrifyingly bad list. The fact that there was a Ginn and a Daniel Thomas <laughs> that wore this number, though. Yeah, and uh, that actually is... Poor Kalen. Can somebody talk to him? Ken's father? I mm, uh, don't think so. I don't know. We did draft the whole family. Yes, we did. Um, so somebody talk to Kalen about that. But did anyway, he, I want to get to the coach. Why is he not wearing 37 or 47? Uh, well, I, maybe he just doesn't know. Yeah, right.
All right. I do want to get to the coaches here. Uh, the coaches also gave their press conferences and they had some, I thought a lot of interesting things to say. Um, again, they're all well-practiced at trying to say nothing, but first, you know, Adam Gase did his press conference and he created some headlines, particularly when he talked about, you know, TJ McDonald is not going to move to linebacker. He said, um, he said a bunch of other things. Uh, I thought something that came across though, when he was talking was when he was talking about like how he has the roster and, and everything the way he wants it this year. Um, and we all we all really took that as, um, you know, him being happy. But in explaining it, he said, you know, he talked about the staff and he said, staff members, are you all on the same page? Are you all working in the same direction, working for the same goal? And then as he goes on, he, you know, he clarifies and he's talking about how it feels right this year. And the first thing he says is staff, you know, coaching staff, the type of people all working in the same direction, all working for the same goal. He's really kind of. He's really kind of saying, do you think, or maybe maybe you disagree, I don't know, but I think he's really kind of saying one of the things that he felt was wrong last year, and he's pointing the direction of his staff. Alf, what do you think? Yeah, I think what's obvious. Uh, in one of the first podcasts, we talked about uh, the direction of the 2018 Miami Dolphins, and I think I told, I think I told Simon that the, the theme, of course, was culture, but the theme also seemed to be uh, it was these guys' fault for last year. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. so they made they made a lot of scapegoats. Every, the, the next time that you see a miscommunication on the field, you got to point a finger right at Gase, not at mm-hmm. either Rashad Jones or Minka, not even Minka Fitzpatrick, because I trust him to get every single assignment right. Because come on, you know, if he could if he could be the captain of a Nick Saban defense for three years, you know, mm-hmm. he could pick up our playbook. So, which is interesting. That's another thing that Cornell Armstrong was asked, you know, uh, did he pick up the playbook? And he said, yeah, it's the same one that I ran at Southern Mississippi. So, you know, it shouldn't be that difficult. So that was the theme, I think, early on in this offseason. So if we see any deficiencies in the players or any non-development from our younger guys, you really got to point the finger right at the head man because he's the one who blew out all these guys out of here and brought in his own. Simon, what do you think particularly about um, what he said about TJ, TJ McDonald? He said, you know, he kind of stood up and said, you know, TJ's playing safety. He's not moving the linebacker. You make yeah, anything I, of that? Absolutely. I, mean, I thought it was fascinating because we've all pontificated about whether or not TJ would move to, to linebacker, especially in those kind of big nickel situations. But, mm-hmm. you know, this three into two does not go, really, unless mm-hmm. they're going to play three safeties at times. You know, Patriots have done it fairly successfully playing three three safeties with, 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 their, with McCourty and um, – the, the big guys they've got on the back end there and you kind of wonder maybe that's a situation that the Dolphins may investigate because it, it does feel like they're going to tweak the defense a little bit not major changes but it feels like a little bit of tweaking mm-hmm. but uh, to me it was you know TJ McDonald is officially on watch in terms of you know you've got to buck up buddy otherwise mm-hmm. you know you're starting position A is under threat and B as we've discussed previously in the past you'll you know roster position by the by the sounds of it is under threat now you know, nothing is set in stone. We've not there's not been a snap and anger so far, and uh, and mm-hmm. things could change. But you know, going back to the original point, this is now Gaze's team. You know, and I will defend him to the hilt because I think he's terrific. But you know, the injuries aside, there can be no more excuses now. There can be no more excuses for kids not reading the playbook. There can be no more excuses for penalties. There can be no more excuses for miscommunications. This is the team that you wanted. 
this is the 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 team in the in it's made up the way you wanted it physically and most importantly mentally you've made a massive point about culture and leadership the buck now must stop with you unless 17 gets hurt again now uh, you know and that throws into it you know uh, we we then become it becomes a gray area but if if Mm -hmm. Taniel stays healthy this is now Adam Gaze's team this is no longer a holdover from from the previous era he's had long enough to to get these guys into his way of thinking his way of performing so that really was my, my is my biggest takeaway you know and Gaze's yeah, he's a serious guy, and he, you know, he cuts people down, and you know, it, who say things that he just doesn't agree with. But he is thoughtful, and he's interesting. And if people challenge him and and put interesting questions to him, I've always found that, you know, if you can challenge him and ask him an interesting question, he's a football head. You know, we talked about this pre pre the draft when you talk about Jed Fish and uh, and that sort of thing. Where he gets in a room and just watches football, and that's what he does. He just seemed, uh, you know, we talked about this privately. I don't think I'd seen Gase at any point be as up about a bunch. You know, he really likes this team. Uh, you know, he would say that, wouldn't he? Because he's put it together. But you do get the sense that he's not faking it, that he really does like the camaraderie. And I love the fact that, you know, he talked about Amandola and, you know, he talked about how Malcolm Lewis and, uh, and, um, uh, Drew, Drew Morgan, Morgan and yeah, and Morgan were kind of following, yeah. yeah. But then he then he talked about Devonte Parker. Said, so, you know, Devonte's just wandering around after him, you know, studying what he does and working. You know, and he says, you know, a guy like Amandola comes into the locker room. He's that kind of kid. He's, you know, he's there's just something about him. He is a he's an alpha male, and uh, and that's a kind of a, a an interesting thing. And uh, and then he went on to talk about the quarterbacks, and you know, not a ringing endorsement of Brock Osweiler, almost to the point where yeah. you kind of feel like maybe David Fails is next man up, and you know, Fails. Didn't play badly against Buffalo. I don't think he, you know, he wasn't overwhelmed. He didn't seem too big for him. He made some really nice throws. Yeah, he made some mistakes through through a couple of picks and stuff, and ultimately we lost the game. But I don't think he did anything to embarrass himself necessarily. And all of a sudden you feel like, okay, maybe there's an interesting comp- competition ahead at, at quarterback, and maybe Brock Osweiler isn't the de facto number two guy. And I, I think that's the second big takeaway, really, is um, is what he talked about when the quarterbacks, and he seemed. I, I don't know. He just didn't seem all that excited about Brock, and, and he's describing the process for bringing Brock in, and he's talking about how he almost had to be like convinced by the personnel people around him. This is a guy that has been coaching Brock since he was like 20 years old, he says, and has been around Brock, and none of these other guys have been around Brock, and he's the one that has to be convinced to take Brock Osweiler back. I don't think that's a good sign. I mean, when he's talking about, you know, I I had to see it for myself. I had to meet with Brock and, you know, make sure that he understands, you know, this is this is what he's competing for. This is what his role is. Um, Are you ready to come back with me and what that, you know, into my offense and what that means and stuff, stuff that if you're reading between the lines, it's like, well, maybe it didn't go so well uh, behind the scenes that first time around in Denver if he's having to be convinced. So he's he's definitely, he said, stated explicitly, he's going to have Brock Osweiler and David Fales competing for the backup job. But remember, people forget that David Fales was the primary backup in Chicago for like six games. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and Adam Gase was the offensive coordinator on that staff, and they cut, they cut a, you know, very heralded type of player in um, uh, Jimmy Clausen in order to do that, in order to bring David Fales up uh, from the practice squad and make him the primary backup for six games. So this is not new for Adam Gase. David Fales being the primary backup is not something that he's going to say, you know, oh, gee, I, I don't know about that. You know, he's done it before. There were a couple more little things that stood out to me. 
um, when when we were looking at what he said. Omar was asking him, Omar Kelly of the, the South Florida Sun Sentinel, was asking him about the three guys they lost. And, you know, talking about Ndamukong Sui, Jarvis Landry, Jay Ajayi. He said um, he was kind of going at – yeah, or Pouncey, you know, yeah, right. He was kind of going at Gase over the um, the players that they lost and the fact that Gase said that I have – I really like my roster. This is the roster that I want. Uh, and he's like, how do you reconcile you, – you used to call those guys your back your, – your top players, and now they're gone. So, you know, what is it that you have more depth? You know, what is it what, about this roster? And he mentioned something. Adam Gase, in reply, mm-hmm. said that sometimes in free agency, you're kind of faced with this thing. And, you know, sometimes a guy has a number and, you know, it's a big number. And but then you have an, another guy you know, at, at a much, much lower number. But it's not really that big of a swing in talent. And you have an opportunity there. And so I'm, I'm listening. To that. I thought that was a really interesting Again, you know, we're talking about scapegoats and stuff like that, but um, but it's really interesting way to talk about the replacements for Mike Pouncey and, in particular, Mike Pouncey and Jarvis Landry. Those probably being, um, you know, Daniel Kilgore and Danny Amendola in in uh, in Adam Gase's mind. So he doesn't think that we're going, we're taking a big swing or a big, um, you know, downgrade in talent on those two two guys uh and he talked about it specifically um but otherwise all through the press conference you just hear constantly talking about packaging and about changing the offense uh every single week according to who you're playing and what the mismatches are and i you know hopefully this time he means it um because we've heard that kind of talk before and then they would go in every single week with the same 11 personnel package which they used I think more than all but maybe two or three other teams in the league last year, they used the same 11 personnel package, and, and it was always with Devontae Parker, Jarvis Landry, and Kenny Stills. And, um, and they, their play calling got kind of you know, predictable uh, to the point where Adam Beasley of the Miami Herald you know, talked about it right here on the Five Reasons Sports Podcast Network. Uh, he talked about how Mike Martz, Adam Gase's old mentor, texted him in the middle of the year, and basically said, you know, I don't recognize what the hell you're doing out there. Um, I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're doing out there. And I think Gaze took that to heart a little bit. And so what he wants is a wide enough base of talent through, you know, five deep on the wide receivers, four deep on the tight ends, three deep on the running backs, that he can do a bunch of different things. And we'll talk a little bit about Dowell Logans, but I, but that's the that's the that's the theme. That's what's going on here. And one little thing is he did, you know, just because I've, I've talked about Kenny Stills from the slot so much and how he has the highest yards per target of anybody over the last five years uh, in the NFL, uh, you know, depending on where you put your qualify, qualifications. And Adam Gaze confirmed it. He said that Kenny Stills is probably one of the most productive slot, slot players that's been in the league, period. And so he talked about what he can do from the slot and, and moving these guys all around. But also Dell Logan's. All five foot six of them got up in front of the uh, in front of the press and did his press conference. We're talking about a former high school quarterback at five foot six who was a walk on at Arkansas in the SEC. He played in 50 games as, wow. officially as a running back. He even took some snaps at quarterback, though. That is that's a Rudy accomplishment right there. Um, but what do you, what did you make of his press conference? Did you catch any of his? Uh, I want to go to you first, Simon, and then we'll go to Alf. I knew you'd go to me first because it was the only one I didn't watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I watched it. 
and I mean Alf and then Simon. It, he pushed uh, the versatility tag that that Gase and the offseason seems to be geared toward, and he did mention he wants to play a little bit more up tempo, and he also wants to. He only mess, mentioned it in passing, but this created a wildfire wildfire effect all over the oh, national God. media and the local media that he wanted to play a little bit more 13 personnel which was interesting but yeah it was it was more mostly boilerplate stuff um he really backed Devonte parker uh one thing i didn't yeah i didn't hear from him was how was he going to use you know uh gasecki and smith or balaj and and drake or gore it, he really didn't get into specifics with the players he just basically mentioned very the very broad strokes of his philosophy and it was it was kind of boring because it was just a mirror For, image of what Gase kind of wants yeah fulfilling the image of the head coach is one of the phrases he used it kind of you can you, you clearly feel like they're all singing from the same hymn sheet as it were and like you say he did talk up Devonte Parker he's now the 93,000th Miami Dolphins offensive coordinator to talk up Devonte Parker mm-hmm. he also said a lot of flattering things about Ryan Tannehill one of the things I thought was quite interesting actually was I didn't realize that Gaze and Burke are really good friends and Gaze and Loggins are really good friends but I didn't realize that Burke and Loggins were also really good friends because they were both quality control coaches with the Titans back in 2008 and they worked together and have become like incredibly close friends Gay's kind of highlighting the fact that not all the coaches were on the same page last year. Clearly they are. Gay's has got the players he wants, but he can sure as hell believe he's got the coaches he wants as well. And that's, you know, harks back to the no more excuses thing. You can't, you've got everything you need now that in place. That let's just go play football and, and see what we do. And I kind of like our chances. I think Burke even came into his pre- press conference and the first thing he said to the press was, "How did my boy uh, yeah, how my man do? Dow do? Yeah, how, how did my man Dow do?" Um, and he talked him up a little bit. Uh, so yeah, they are friends, but it's not it's not just those, those two. Logains has worked with Bo Hardigree, the quarterback yep. coach of the Dolphins. Um, he's worked with uh, Jeremiah Washburn, uh, the offensive line coach of the Dolphins, um, and of course Logains and Gase have worked together. And this is a this is a tight group basically. That's that's the that's the overall feel that you have coming in, like sort of the outsider that might be coming in as a little bit as the run game coordinator and running backs coach is Eric uh, Studisville or uh, however you say his yeah. name. Um, yeah, and and he's a little bit of the outsider, but then again, he and Gaze are really tight, so that's that's not that much of an outsider. And you could just, I mean, from what we know of Shane Day and and the experience um, with him, I you could kind of see him fitting in really well with that group. I mean, these are, these guys are football guys, but they're all including Burke now because um, these guys are all football guys, but they're all sort of like next gen information guys too. Uh, and they're all kind of football eggheads a little bit in addition to being football coaches. And I, you could, I think that Gase has his staff the way he wants it. Um, this is why he's probably so uh, upbeat about what he's got in place. Uh, a couple, uh, the other interesting thing that I saw that Dow Logan said, um, and he's talking about the up tempo no huddle offense, and you brought this up, Alf, but um, it, it's interesting because I don't know whether he, he let some stuff slip or not, but I'm, I'm kind of putting together what Adam Gase said about it and what Logan said about it. Adam Gase talked about how in 2016 they tried to run some of that stuff and um and they had to abandon it and he talked about how 
um, the players weren't getting it and it wasn't working out. So they had to go uh, away from that and go to more, you know, heavy run stuff, the outside zone uh, play action. And then in 2017, uh, they were going to try and refit it or maybe try it again. And they had to change mid training camp because of Ryan Tannehill's injury. Uh, and they had to scrap it and, and change the whole offense again. Well, hmm. Dow Gaines went into it a little bit more. And he was actually asked a very astute question um, from from the uh, the pool of beat writers. Uh, I wish I knew who it was because it was a good question. And he wanted to, I think it was actually Chris Perkins, but I, I'm not sure uh, he wanted to know, OK, well, you know, you had to abandon the the up tempo, no huddle offense before. What are the keys to establishing that? What are the keys to actually running that and and getting it going? And what so what are they going to be the keys this year? Dowell Logan's actually said that the keys with running the up-tempo uh, offense that way are the quarterback and play caller being on the same page, mm-hmm. and then the quarterback being able to communicate quickly to the running backs, the wide receivers, the tight ends, and the offensive line. And then he stopped. He didn't say anything else. Like He, he put it all on the quarterback and the communication between he and the play caller and the communication between the quarterback and the other guys. And, and that was where he stopped, and then later on, when he was talking about uh, Adam, or he's, sorry, he's talking about Ryan Tannehill a little bit. You know, he's talking about his strengths and weaknesses. And after listing a bunch of strengths, you know, now we're talking about some of the weaknesses that he's got to work on. And he, he used the phrase, he said, you know, cleaning up the communication thing. And it was just an odd, you know, stick in in there that kind of like a little bit of a fly in the ointment. Like, like maybe, whereas we like to blame the abandonment of the no huddle, the hurry up, no huddle in 2016 on guys that are no longer here, like Jay Ajayi or Jarvis Landry or any of the other players that maybe weren't getting the communication or, or stuff like that. Um, you know, maybe part of it was on Tannehill too. And maybe Dowell Logans is here to try and help, you know, get help, get that going with Ryan Tannehill and help get, you know, as he said, the communication thing cleaned up. Uh, I thought that was a kind of a maybe an inadvertent uh, reveal. Uh, it was, but it was interesting to me. Um, otherwise, you know, there's some interesting stuff about the the 13 personnel thing. Nothing, nothing's going to piss me off more than seeing like a national writer seize on something like that. I mean, he talked about he said 13 personnel and 22 personnel and 12 personnel, and you know how they went into the draft thinking, well, yeah, we're so deep at wide receiver. I, I guess we're going to use a bunch of 11 personnel and maybe even 10 personnel, and then uh, we draft these two tight ends, and it's like, oh crap, now we can use 13 personnel and 22 personnel and, and 12 personnel. He even mentioned zero zero personnel. Yeah, and, and and he said that, and and of course Bill Barnwell of ESPN seizes on it and is like. You pay all this money to the wide receivers, and now you're talking about running 13. This is why Miami sucks. I was like, come on, dude. I mean, when you're when you're uh, when you're actually paid. I mean, fans get to choose their own level of involvement with football and whether they research and know the things um, that that we do. But if you're paid for it, then either you're erecting a you know, you know egregious straw man here, or you're just not doing your homework. Because 13 personnel is used across the league. It's probably about like 5 or 6% of all plays in, in the NFL. Even the team that uses it the most, the Tennessee Titans, did it like 13% of the time. So, yeah, if we go to some 13 personnel, I'm sure, you know, we might use it one out of 10 plays 
or something like that. It's not like we're running. We're talking about running the entire offense through 13 personnel. And uh, I just, I just can't, I can't, I can't get with the program with, uh, with guys, you know, taking cheap shots like that. But, um, but he, another interesting thing that he mentioned is that he talked about in the way they use Mike Gesicki, um, specifically, he talked about things that Adams done in his past with tight ends flexed out. And that perked my ears up because I know that tight ends don't flex out and tight ends don't play in the slot very often in Miami in 2016 and 2017. And that was also true in Chicago when Dowell Logans was with him in 2015. But if you go back to 2013, uh, Adam Gase did actually uh, flex out Jacob Tammy into the slot about 70 plus percent of the time, which is really odd for an Adam Gase as an offensive coordinator. And so I think that that's why Dal Legane specifically talked about Adam doing this in his past and not necessarily their shared past in Chicago. So I, I would look for that to be a thing that they're doing with Mike Gesicki is specifically flexing him out into the slot more often than we saw in Miami over the last couple of years. Well, that's the offense. So I guess, you know, let's let's get a little bit into Matt Burke and Darren Rizzi. Simon, did they say anything interesting? Anything piqued your interest? Um, to be honest, I don't think I watched Matt Burke either. <laughs> <laughs> Were you on the phone with more serial killers? <laughs> Pretty much. Once I'd watched all the players, I kind of felt like I needed to go outside and see human beings. <laughs> it was Friday night. I was sat there on Friday night thinking, I'm watching a load of kids do interviews on my phone. When I could actually be outside interacting with other human beings and like girls and stuff, you know? <laughs> well, I'll get into Matt Burke here right before we, we get out for the week. Uh, he was asked about Minka Fitzpatrick, where he fits, and he gave a generic answer. But he did kind of allude to playing all three safeties. And kind of mentioned that they did a little bit of it versus the Patriots, and it's something that they might have to use a lot versus teams with a very good tight end. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was interesting. And then uh, the other comment that he made, which made me shake my head as in, uh, do you know what team you're coaching? Which mm -hmm. is, he was asked about Robert Quinn, and after talking effusively about it for about three straight minutes, he says he's one of the most bendy athletes at defensive end that he has ever seen. <laughs> Doesn't he not coach a guy called Cameron Wink? I don't know if that was shade or not. Uh, I, I certainly hope not because Cameron Wink is a god. Yeah. Uh, he did say one of the bendiest. One, he, didn't say he, he didn't say he was the most bendy I've ever seen. Uh, the exact quote <laughs> is, one of the most bendy athletes yeah, and maybe, I had ever you know, seen. Yeah, and he could well have... If pushed by our great media, he could have then said, you know, Wake is obviously the number one. But he, he, he seemed to be stuck a little bit in the past on Robert Quinn because he talked about, like, you know, didn't he have, like, 19 sacks, like, two or three years? Well, it was five years ago, man. Uh, this, is, this, is not, this is not 2013, okay? This is 2018. Oddly, oddly, enough, oddly enough, Matt Burke alluded to it, and he said, didn't he have, like, 19 sacks two years ago? And then yeah. somebody in the media said, no, it wasn't two years ago. I yeah, do think it was exactly. interesting that when, when the trade was up for the possibility, they, he said, you know, they sat down and watched six or seven games straight off the bat, and they were like, and it, you know, he said to, to Greer and to Tannenbaum 100% before he'd watched the tape, and then watched the tape and was like, yep, 100%, we should definitely be in for this guy. So, mm. 
Yeah, he's a he's a young professional athlete in great shape, trying mm-hmm. to get a big contract, which is yeah, always true. a very very good yeah. combination. That's true. That's true. Jordan, uh, you look at Jordan Phillips again. He's another one. He's going to be a contract. Yeah, Bobby McCain. Yeah. He's a contract guy. You know, you're going to be looking for the big deal. And we know what happens in in final years of contract. Devon, even Devontae Parker is. You know, yeah. he's a. You know, these are. It's interesting times for this team. And uh, you know, let the national media keep on under. Uh, you know, underplaying us and you know talking about how bad we are and how we're going to be looking to to with the first pick next year. Well, that's. That's a long way away from from reality, I, I think. Before well, we go out, before we go out, there's one last theme that he talked on that I I found to be really you know revealing in that it's it's a bleed over, it's um and the talk that we've been hearing from the offense about personnel packaging and um and formations and and using rotating all these different guys and based on matchup and how we're going to they're going to be a different offense every week and stuff like that that's starting to bleed over to the defense and that was not the case that was not always the case you're seeing more of that language from Matt Burke and from defensive guys this year he's taught he talked about packaging you know so many times in that press conference and he talked about how you know sometimes in this package against this team it might be uh, Minka Fitzpatrick and Rashad Jones and sometimes versus this team, it might be, you know, make a Fitzpatrick and TJ McDonald, or it might be Rashad and TJ. You know, he, he talked about the packaging or the three safety packages. Um, he basically spoke about it a lot like Adam Gase speaks about the offense. And that is a turn. That is something that's that's different that they're going to be doing more often. You could just see it. It's, it's a theme taking root in the entire team, offense and defense, Adam Gase's team is sort of a flattening, you know, going from uh, going from a hierarchy where certain top dog players were were the snap getters and the and the guys that are being relied on to more of a flat structure and asking a bunch of different guys from a bunch of different places to step up. And on defense, they're giving Matt Burke a, a wide array of pieces, whether it be, you know, fast linebackers that he can use in nickel instead of, you know, a year, a year ago where it was slow. Or if he wants to use dime this year, he has three safeties that can do it, and and he also has a nickel corner that can do it. So you know he they're giving him all these pieces that he so that he can choose on a week to week basis, on a you know package to package or even drive to drive basis what he wants to use, and they're putting it all on him. There's a lot of pressure on him to do that and and make it work like a basketball coach choosing his rotations. So um, I think that's the theme. I think that's probably what we want to go out on because I know Ty, uh, Simon is getting uh, it's getting pretty late for you over there. Um, it's pretty late. <laughs> yeah, pretty early. The season's about to start any yeah. second now. The only the only coach that actually said something extremely definite was Darren Rizzi. So quickly quickly on these thoughts, he said Callum Balaj will be on kickoffs. Oh my God, not Balaj again. Hey, blame Darren <laughs> Rizzi. He's the one who said it. And he said, Albert Wilson and Danny Amendola will vie for the punt return job. Quick thoughts, mm. both of you. Yeah, I mean, some wise man earlier in this podcast said Balaj will be returning kicks. I think that was probably me. Um, and it will be Wilson returning punts because Amendola will probably get concussed. There you well, go. There's, I think there's a hot take for you. He did say that it would be Albert Wilson and Danny Amendola competing to pair with Jakeem Grant on punt returns. He's not taking Jakeem Grant off punt returns. Yeah. Oh, he said okay. he said that Jakeem is still the primary punt guy, I think, 
and the guy that's going to be with him is either going to be Amendola or, or Wilson. Well, that's it, fans of the Three Yards Per Carry podcast. There is no more. But we do encourage you to listen to all the podcasts on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Listen to the Ballscast every Friday morning, the Miami Heat Beat, and, of course, the flagship Five Reasons with Ethan Skolnick and Chris Whittingham. And, of course, follow us at Three Yards Per Carry on Twitter. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Carry. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.